play a second verse to that, <laughs> just to get them all seated. Thank you, choir. That was so majestic and so, that's just so wonderful. We appreciate your ministry in uh, singing to us like that and sharing with us God's word. That's just, that's thrilling. All right, um, maybe this last week you have read through the book of Daniel. I'd like to put you in our tally list. Anybody in here read through Daniel this past week? Oh, I gotta look up there. I don't see anybody waving at me. I need five more people. We're at 70. So if you're not one of the 70, then you need to read the book of Daniel this week. I'm just encouraging you. I'm not going to force you. You won't miss out on something. Uh, we won't put you in a corner or something. But uh, we'd love for you to share that as well during the week. Maybe then you gave us, you worked on one word for each chapter to define that chapter, and you'd like to share that with us. Right, Bill? Nice. I'm going to write incinerator above chapter three in my book. <laughs> That's great. Yes. We're waiting for a really cold day, and we'll preach that one. <laughs> Somebody else have a list. Let me keep encouraging you. You just heard it. That's what we're looking for. It's just one word to describe each chapter. That was your number 16, Bill. That means we only have... A lot to go. Okay. Uh, memorizing Bible verses from the book of Daniel. Anybody work on that this week and want to share a verse with us? Hmm. Nobody here, huh? There's 22 so far. We can do better, can't we? You're hesitant to say, yes, I know it. But that's okay. But I, I do offer you the opportunity if you just say, I can't do that in front of people, Pastor. I just go blank. I get scared. I just pass out, something like that. Uh, write it out and just hand it to me. Several people have. And I like it that way, too. So we'll get you on that list, too. Just, I'm encouraging you to find five Bible verses from the book of Daniel. Any ones you want, just pick one, two, three, four, five. Memorize them. When we get there, you're going to say, hey, I know that verse. I mean, that's pretty exciting. But uh, uh, I just want to encourage you to, again, get into the book during the week. Because we're studying this book. We want to know it well. And that's one way to just keep soaking it in. So that I encourage you to do. All right. Today we're going into chapter 2, verse 44 and 45. We're at the very end of the dream and its interpretation. Now, we are studying with the word uncompromising before us. Uncompromising. A resolution to follow God, to obey God, regardless of the consequences of living in a pagan world. 
Daniel learned that lesson. He showed us it very well. We need to learn it too. So that's what I'm encouraging us to, to follow through with as we study this book is what is an uncompromising person and how can I be one? How can I be one? Trust God regardless. That's the simple, simple little phrase that goes with that. And we are in that prophecy section, as you well know. There are several of these throughout this book, and each time we come to this, we're going to keep reminding ourselves of several important things. Number one, this is God's plan that he has set before us. Man did not write this. God did. This is his word. He gave it as a dream to a king. He gave it as an interpretation from a probably 16-year-old captive who God used to reveal this. He had it recorded in his word so that even to this day, we can pick it up and read it and understand more and more about what God is doing. This is what we call the time of the Gentiles, and we will develop that more as we go. But that is just to show that man's government from the four that we're going to especially emphasize, Babylon and the Medes and the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans, uh, they're insufficient. They are weak. They are limited. They cannot endure. And they will not endure. And that's what we need to get a focus on sometimes because we live in a day when there's powers. And they tell us to do this and do that and things like that. And we see, even in the news, the power of weaponry and what that's able to do. And I don't know about you, but the news, I, I don't know. I look at that and I think, wow, can they do that? Just the power that they show on, on these equipment, the tanks and things like that. It's just, it's big. It's big. There are powers over our lives here. There's powers that we live under at this very moment. And yet there is a kingdom coming. <clears throat> Folks just sang about it this morning. There is a kingdom coming and it belongs to our Lord. And he will reign. And he is the king of all kings. And it says in scripture that at his name every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We have this to look forward to. And so let's go to our passage here, Daniel 2, 44 and 45. And remember the rules. This was a vision given to Daniel, so we have to understand it from his place as we work our way through this. All of these visions are in reference to Israel, technically. The book is too. It's not about the church, and we're not going to find the rapture and church doctrines inside of it. Um, the primary lesson is faith. Faith. Trusting God while the world is ruled by the heathen. And I know we have application there. So understanding this, that all these kingdoms are going to fail. They will not be able to endure. And there is a fact that there is a kingdom that belongs to our Messiah. And it will overcome them all. There's our focus. So let's look at verse 44 and 45, chapter 2. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will cause a kingdom to rise up, which will never be destroyed, 
and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it crushed the iron and the bronze and the clay and the silver and the gold, the great God that has made known to the king what will happen in the future, so the dream is certain and the interpretation is trustworthy. Heavenly Father, help us today as we open up your word to understand it. Uh, challenge our hearts with this passage, we pray. Uh, do your work in our midst, in our hearts, in our lives, for we live in a very difficult age, and uh, we need to stand out as those who trust you regardless. So do your work even within us that we might be honoring in your sight and willing to follow you. Thank you, Lord, for our study here. You bring the impact, Lord, as you feel fit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're going to put our picture up here, and you're going to find a slight change to it. And it wasn't, it, it didn't happen because uh, the earthquakes or something that knocked over our little statue. Uh, usually you see that guy standing up, so don't readjust your screen if you think something is wrong here. Yes, I laid him on his side. Because I wanted to use that to fit the timeline that we are looking at today. I even brought my pointer. Isn't that great? I had lost it, and I just found it. And I said, boy, I need that thing. So Babylon, the head, gold, the head. As we started in on this in chapter number two, first he had a dream, and this is what he saw. And then Daniel says, here's the interpretation. And we know it's Babylon because Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, that's you. And he's talking about his kingdom. And though Babylon existed far before 605 B.C., we're going to use that as the starting point because that's where Daniel was. Uh, this dream came right about that time, maybe a year or so difference, but uh, that was where the dream began. So the Babylonian kingdom was greater than all the rest. Everything else is descending as a statue descending down from the top to the bottom, but also it seems to be according to its quality. Uh, we have things diminishing as they go. Babylon's going to last till 539. We're going to read of that in chapter 5, where it finishes, where the kingdom changes. Because the second kingdom, which represents the silver there, the arms and the uh, chest and all that, is the Mede and the Persians. Now, that's not named in this chapter, too. It doesn't give that term. Matter of fact, none of the terms at the top here, Babylon, Medes, and Persians, Greek, or Rome, are given as the name of those kingdoms. It just says, and another kingdom will come that's inferior to the first. Now, we know it's the Medes and the Persians, not just because history says so, but we will see in later chapters, the book of Daniel says so, too. So we've got the advantage not only of, of history, but certainly of God's word. And they are going to be there for almost, well, a little bit more than 200 years. That's a long time for that kingdom to be in control. That's 539 to 331 BC. It doesn't say much else about it, except it's inferior. And uh, we will get more information as we go. 
So that's the Medes and the Persians. When they're done, 331, that's the time of Alexander the Great. That's the bronze that we read of. The bronze representing the waist here, uh, the thighs as well. Uh, the bronze is a kingdom um, that really comes on in a hurry. We're going to get a lot more information about that later on in the book as well. But uh, the verses doesn't say a whole lot about that kingdom. And the time it endures is not very long either. Now this is a rough estimate because this is when he starts to conquer around 331. This is when he dies in 323. After that, the kingdom is divided. It does exist for some time. Uh, matter of fact, Greece still exists today, by the way. But it, it exists well into this era as well. But it is growing weaker and weaker, and there's fighting among them. And uh, a lot of the stories that take place about Greece and things, not only is there more information in the book of Daniel, but also in history we know about the Maccabean Wars and all these other things that come up. Uh, Greece is going to be around, but they're not going to be the dominant power dominant for a long time. In God's map, it's a short, short stay. Rome is going to follow that. We put the date 322. Uh, that's just because it's on the heels of that. Rome was just coming into power with some of these things. And those dates are, I just round them off a little bit. But 322, notice the last word here. It's still going on. That's what I'm going to show you here today. That's still going on. We're still living in this, as we saw this, this being presented to us uh, last week. This is a kingdom that crushes. It's powerful. It crushes. It, it, uh, it's just an incredible picture. We have it in verse number 40, 41, 42, 43. Uh, a lot of things about this kingdom, which involves the legs, and the feet, and the feet have slightly different cover, colors. That's not Crocs he's wearing or something. Uh, that's clay mixed with iron. That's the brittle part. And so we, we saw this vision. We talked about these things. And we're going to talk more about this because that's where we are. But we're going to talk especially about this today. In verse 44 and 45, it starts to talk about the stone. The stone. And I want to show you a couple of things as we work our way into this passage. Look at it with me in verse number 44. In those days, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Right, first notice, he doesn't say, and then another kingdom comes when he starts to reference the stone. In line, as if the sequence is, well, we had one kingdom, and then we had another kingdom, and then we had a third kingdom, and then we had a fourth kingdom, and he doesn't say, and the fifth kingdom. He doesn't say, and another kingdom. But rather he says, God will set up a kingdom. And that kingdom he refers to in a unique way. Uh, just its identification. Uh, it's, I'm going to use some words here that are not in the text yet. They will be worked into our text as we keep going. 
but just for identification purposes. What you're looking at when we talk about the stone that is referenced earlier in the chapter and brought up here again in verse number 45, uh, it is the kingdom of the Messiah. All right? We're going to develop that as we go. It is the kingdom of the Messiah, though it's not named here. But in this dream, none of the kingdoms were named. We're putting the titles on them from our history lessons. We say, oh, yeah, we know which kingdom that is, and that is, and that is. But we don't have a name for this one in the passage. And this one is not in operation yet. It's not there yet. So for today, I'm just going to call it the kingdom of the stone. All right, just because I'm using a stone, OK? Uh, we could call that the kingdom of gold and the kingdom of silver and the kingdom of bronze, the kingdom of iron. This is the kingdom of the stone. And let's talk about this, because what's introduced here, even though that's not all that precise to say you know, another kingdom or stuff, this is a different kingdom. This is entirely different from the rest. Now, Daniel, let's put yourself, ourselves in his sandals here for a minute. For God to give such a dream and then bring it the very end in verse 44 and 45, that there will be a kingdom. And he starts into a unique description about that kingdom. You may think, well, that was probably a big surprise to Daniel. And I'm going to suggest that maybe it wasn't. We know Daniel to be a reader. He read what was available to him. We know specifically that he was reading from the book of Jeremiah. We're going to find that out later toward chapter number 9. He was reading a fresh copy. Jeremiah was still on the scene when he was reading the, God, the prophecy of Jeremiah. I think that's really quite unique. Jeremiah was still alive. Daniel's sitting there reading about Jeremiah and what Jeremiah had to say. Uh, but he's one who made use of what he had said. By the tone of his prayers and things that are recorded in this book, this man must have known things of God's word. And I know most of them were brought up to understand the first five books, the Torah, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They were taught to do that. But there are hints all the way through. Guys like Isaiah, who was before Daniel, Isaiah had much to say about the kingdom of the Messiah. Much to say about it. Anybody reading the book of Daniel would come to a conclusion. There is a kingdom coming, and there is quite a king who will reign. You know that. Daniel, or Isaiah 9, verse 6 where it starts talking about, and his name shall be wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. Of his kingdom there will be no end. It goes on and talks about his kingdom. So if Daniel had gotten a hold of a copy of Isaiah's letter, oh yes, he would be expecting a kingdom. If maybe he had read anything from, well, you start any of the minor prophets, they all have hints of it. But there's Hosea, and there's Joel was available, Amos was available, Obadiah was available, Jonah was written, Micah was written, Nahum was written, Habakkuk was written, Zephaniah. And if Zephaniah, you just pick that up and you'll see kingdom stuff all over the last half of it. If he had read any of those books, he would not have been surprised if God said, and there's a kingdom coming. 
because that has been recorded in Scripture so many times and outlined in so many different ways. And so here it's claimed that there is a kingdom coming, and the pattern was simple. The Jews would be in trouble, and then the Messiah will appear. I'm going to water it down just to the two basics. The Jews would be in trouble, and the Messiah will appear. And that is the promise they have been looking for. And when Daniel is praying in chapter number 9, it appears he understood all that. He was bringing it all together. I just want to go there for a minute. Turn with me, Daniel chapter 9. It's just a few pages away. I want to read that prayer. i just give you a feel for this. Only, only 19 verses, okay? That's not the whole chapter. But uh, let's start with Daniel chapter 9. I'm going to read this. This is, now, this dream is at the first part of Daniel's 70-year captivity. This prayer is after 70 years take place. All right? It's at the very end of the Babylonian captivity. He says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books, hang on, in the books, the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas! O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets. Notice how that just came in. We haven't listened. They spoke in your name to our kings and our princes and our fathers, and all the people of the land. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us open shame as it is to this day. To the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, to all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away, in all the countries to which you have driven them because of their unfaithful deeds which, you, which they committed against you. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord to our kings and our princes and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belongs compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. Nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teaching, which he has set before us through his servants, the prophets. Indeed, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice. So the curse has been poured out on us, along with the oath which was written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for we have sinned against him. Thus he has confirmed his words, which he has spoken against us and against our rulers who ruled us to bring on us great calamity. For under the whole heaven there, is none, not been, there has not been done anything like that which was done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come on us. Yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the calamity in store and brought it on us. 
For the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all his deeds, which he has done, but we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who has brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made a name for yourself, and is, is to this day, we have sinned, we have been wicked, O Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts, let now your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For because of our sins and the iniquities of our, for our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all those around us. So now, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplication. And for your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. O oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merit of our own, but on account of your great compassion. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, listen and take action. For your sake, O oh my God, do not delay, because your city and your people are called by your name. Wow. That's quite a prayer, isn't it? But notice his reference, the prophets, the prophets, the prophets, Moses, Moses, Moses. This guy, I don't think he was surprised when God said, and a kingdom will come. Or set up a kingdom. I don't think he was all that surprised that that was in, uh, given to him as his dream is being unfolded. There's references to four kingdoms. Yes, we call that the time of the Gentiles. And then there is that fourth one or the fifth one that we're going to look at that was different. Verse 34. Let's go back to Daniel for a minute. Chapter 2. Go back to verse 34. Let's see the first word said about this kingdom, this stone. Verse 34. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands, and it struck the image on the feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron and the clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the earth will become a great mountain and fill the whole earth. All right, I've got to be quick. Yes, I used up a lot of extra time last week, so you're not getting it back. I'm just saying... Okay, simple observations. You ready? Number one, a stone will follow in the order of the kingdoms. Uh, we have kingdom one, kingdom two, kingdom three. This is a kingdom two. Um, these kingdoms, all the way to this one, from what appears in this text, will continue until the stone strikes it. The statue will remain until the stone crushes it. The stone has not come yet. Because those kingdoms still exist. They're still here. The last of that kingdom is still in operation today. It's still in operation. That's why I don't believe the stone has come yet. If the stone had come, that would have been pulverized, according to the text. The stone, we say, is cut from a mountain without hands. Observation is somewhat simple, this. This stone is not going to be the product of the previous kingdoms. It's going to be entirely separated from the kingdoms. It's not part of the statue. It's not this part taken from that part. 
the land, the throne, all that stuff. It's not this part taking from that part, the land and the throne and all those things. It's not this kingdom taking from those and those and those to set up land and thrones and such like that. This kingdom, the stone kingdom, is entirely different because it's not related to the rest of those. It's separated. It's made without hands. And in that way, I would like to add that I believe that means that man is not going to have a part in making this stone. Man does not have a part in making this stone. We're going to talk about that more in a few minutes. Third thing I noticed, that the stone will crush the statue starting at its feet, pulverize the entire structure to chaff, which will be blown away and no trace of it will remain. Is that what you read? That's what I read. Okay. Interpretation. Here it comes. The kingdoms and their systems will all be removed completely. There's nothing left after the stone has struck the statue. It's all removed. In other words, the stone, in order to set up its rule and its kingdom, will not reserve parts of the previous ones to build from. They will not be using the chunks from the gold kingdom or the silver or the bronze or the, or the iron and say, we need that in order to build our kingdom. Uh, it will not be anything reserved for them. Nothing left. It's all pulverized and blown away. It's gone. The stone that struck this image is unique. It defies logic. It grows. <laughs> Stones don't grow. This one will. It will grow, and it says it will become a great mountain and fill the whole earth. Now, that's just from verse 34 and 35. Now, go back to verse 44 with me, and let's add some more observations that we are given in this passage. In those days, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will cause a kingdom to rise up which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it itself stands forever. Inasmuch as you saw the stone which was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it crushed the iron and the bronze and the clay and the silver and the gold, and the great God has made known to the king what will happen in the future. Okay, we'll stop right there for a minute and notice a couple of things. Number one, the stone follows the order still. As he describes it here, these kingdoms are there, and then this kingdom comes and destroys them all. So we have that still set before us. If these are still standing in any way, I say it again, this stone has not come yet. Because its job is to pulverize the rest and remove them entirely. And so I don't believe that that stone has come. That stone has not yet come yet. That means this kingdom is still in operation. We live in this kingdom, by the way, this kingdom. Some people put a division here. They have the Roman Empire and what they call the revived Roman Empire. And they divide that up between the present day and the end of time, the tribulation period. They sometimes refer to that as the revived Roman Empire. That's later on down the road. But that kingdom still exists. The strategies, the system, the structure, the governments, all these things. And you say, but, but we're not very unified in that. And that's what scripture says. <laughs> They're not unified. They are a divided group. They're like clay and iron. How well did they get along? Not good at all. 
And so what we have here is the reality, we're still in this kingdom. This kingdom's not here yet. It's not here yet. Uh, a second thing, as it is cut out without hands, uh, it is not the product of a previous kingdom. It's one entirely separated. Man will have no part in making this kingdom. God makes it. I'm going to emphasize that a little bit because there is theological circles that think that we need to build up this kingdom. We need to, matter of fact, some people have the idea that if we polish up this world just right, Christ will come. Let's get busy. Let's get out there and build the kingdom for him and build the kingdom and such. This is not man's kingdom. This is God's kingdom. He makes it without man. He doesn't need man's help. He doesn't need man's hands. It's a product of God. He cuts it out of the mountain. This kingdom will crush the others. These kingdoms are not building to make this one. You don't see the stone attached to his feet. You see the stone crushing its feet. That's the passage we're looking at here. Uh, it starts at the feet and it pulverizes each and entire structure of that statue and all of it breaks to pieces and turns to chaff and gets blown away and there are no traces of it when it's done no traces that kingdom and that system that's been established in our present day because we're still in this kingdom that system will be completely removed to be honest with you, I don't know what it's like to have a world without that system, because I've never seen one. I've been living in it my whole life. So have you. Some people ask, well, what, what's it going to be like in heaven and stuff like that? I say, well, I don't, I don't know exactly other than what Scripture says. I've never been there. I don't know what it's like to be outside of gravity. I've always lived on this planet. Have you? I think so. This is what I'm used to. This is what I understand. This is what I'm used to. I live in this world. So do you. What is that going to be like when its system is all completely removed? When that kingdom is all completely removed? All the characteristics of that kingdom is gone. There's no residue. There's no leftover parts reserved for God to set up this last kingdom. It is crushed it is put to an end. All of it is gone. It says also in verse number 44, And in, those days of those, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will cause a kingdom to rise up which will never be destroyed. It itself will stand forever. There is no end to it. These all have ends. Even this one. They have an end. They will come to an end. But there is no end for the stone's kingdom. There is no end. No destruction, no defeat to an enemy, no kingdom to replace it. That is the final kingdom. The final kingdom. It will not be replaced by another, and it will not be left for another people. It's unique. It stands alone. Now, Daniel also told us that that stone would become uh, a great mountain and fill the whole earth. But when he gets to the interpretation, he doesn't tell us what that means. 
he stopped with the fact that it will be there and there will be no end to it. But he didn't give us the interpretation of that. And you may say, well, come on, Daniel, give me more. <laughs> Tell me more about, isn't that the way we are with prophecy? It's like potato chips, isn't it? Are you that way? They're hard to stop eating. They're just, that's the way they're designed. They do that on purpose, by the way. But when I, oh, my time's going to be, I got this great story. When I was in uh, uh, the vending business, I was always in there just 20, 30 minutes before some big crew came in, which, I, which were big factories and such, and I knew their lunch hour. And so when I'd walk into that room where all our machines were there with all that stuff to sell, one of our highest selling items was popcorn. First thing I did, I put a bag of popcorn in the microwave, turned it on, filled the machines. When I was done, took the popcorn out, left. Guess what? We sold out of popcorn every single time. Because once you get that smell, what else can you do? When you get prophecy, you say, give me more. Look, tell, you're not telling me enough about the stone. Tell me more about the stone. I want to know more about what that is. What's the timing of the stone? When is the stone coming? What's it going to be like? When will it begin? You know what? Daniel's standing there and said, I don't know. If somebody asked him, he'd say, I, I have no idea. I don't even know when this is going to happen, or this is going to happen, or this is going to happen. He didn't understand all that. He didn't know where does this go from here. All we can say for certain is, this kingdom is coming. This kingdom can't be here yet because this one still exists. And the passage says when this one comes, that one and that one and that one and that one are all pulverized and they're gone. No residue, no influences, no strategies, no structures, no cultures, no governments, no armies, no education, no finances. Nothing of those kingdoms are necessary for this one. Is that going to be a radical change? Wow, that's going to be incredible. Nothing is carried into that kingdom. Nothing that belonged to that statue. Now, more of this is explained and covered throughout the book. But um, I'm going to have to quit because I've got another two pages to go. And again, your roast is going to burn if I do that. Uh, we'll come back to this because there's some more things I wanted to share about that. And uh, I just want to restate something real simple. When you don't fully understand the whole picture and you say, but Lord, you know, it's hard living in this, in this particular kingdom right now. Wherever it went, right there. It's hard to live in a kingdom like this. But this is not the end, folks. This is not the end. For Daniel, he had to trust God regardless. He had to know there were still all these kingdoms yet to go. We're here and saying, come, Lord Jesus. Come now. And until he comes, guess what we need to do? Trust him regardless. Is it easy? No. It's not easy. Because the kingdom we live in crushes. And that's what we're reading in scripture here. So I'm going to reiterate that again and again and again. When you're living in a time like ours and you're saying, Lord, I don't know if I could go another week or month or year of this. Don't forget, the stone is coming. 
the stone is coming. When Christ sets up his kingdom, we look forward to that. Now, that's covering big pictures and not all the little details of prophecy that we sit back and look at because we also look at it from the perspective of the church. We talk about the rapture. We talk about the tribulation. We talk about those things too. But that's not what Daniel got in this vision. We're here. This is coming. So let's trust him. Let's trust him. And I'll give you the rest of these notes next week because you're going to like them too. So Heavenly Father, Thank you for your care for us. In the midst of an iron kingdom, you are here. You're present with us. You've given to us everything we need for life and godliness. You've given to us direction. And it's not easy, Lord. It's not easy to live in a, a world like ours and the opposition of this world against us as believers. We feel the crushing. And maybe not to the same degree as our brothers and sisters in Africa or in India or in China or some other place where uh, living for Christ is a matter of life and death. And we ask you today, Lord, that you just impress upon us the same thing you impressed upon every single one who has followed behind you. Trust, trust me. And you tell us to do that too. It's not easy, Lord, but you know our hearts and you know our willingness to do so. So teach us, Lord, day by day, step by step, to trust you, to trust you as we walk along and wait for our Savior. We thank you for that promise. We know it is true. We look forward to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome you all to come out tonight. This place is a beehive of activity on Sunday nights. If you're not used to coming out, the youth is busy, the kids' ministry is thriving, and pastors answering, why did Jesus need to visit hell tonight? So lots of good stuff. We welcome you to come out. Be sure and uh, check out the sign-up sheets in the back, and lots of uh, fun stuff coming up. So let's all stand for our closing word of prayer, or for our closing song, and Nate Hollenbeck's going to close us in prayer following this song.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this privilege to be 